When I got out of MLM, I was overwhelmed by shame, regret, guilt, and loneliness. But sharing my story has helped free me up, and I want to invite you to do the same, either publicly or anonymously, as a catalyst for your healing. The From Huns to Humans podcast is a proud supporter of the hashtag I Got Out movement. Learn more and find resources at igotout.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey hun, it's me, Danielle. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions, and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. Hello everyone, I just wanted to come in here and provide a content warning for this episode. We do talk about suicidal ideation and thoughts and plans, Um, not in detail, but just a heads up, but also this episode is themed with eating disorder recovery. So if this, either of those topics are hard, oh, and sexual assault. So if any of those topics are not for you today, please feel free to skip this episode or come back later when you're feeling up to it. I hope that you have a fabulous day and enjoy the episode. Okay, round two. Yay! Hi! Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of From Huntsy Humans. I am here with my friend Dana Altman. Um, So... Funny story, not so funny. I'm having a lot of technical difficulties today. Um, so if my sound sounds different, I don't have my normal mic. And also we are recording on Anchor instead of Zoom today, uh, which has already given us some problems. We were like just about to like really get into the meat and potatoes of Dana's story when <laughs> all of a sudden it it just stopped working. So hopefully this works and this airs and this is what goes out there. But otherwise, yes. uh, this episode might end up happening another day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dana, hi, how are you? Um, So for everyone, Dana doesn't have an MLM story, which is classic on this podcast. However, she does have a really um, relatable mental health journey and um, is also the founder of Bake It Till You Make It. She's an author and lots of other really cool things that I can't remember what you said in your last intro. So I'll let you reintroduce yourself. Oh, no worries. <laughs> yes. No, you got it. Author. I also like to think of myself. Well, I am. I'm an entrepreneur and yeah. mental health advocate. Yes. Yes. Um, we yeah. love we love real legit entrepreneurs here on this podcast. So yes, yes, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so we were just, I was just sharing, um, 
in our first take <laughs> that, um, that, yeah, so I, I have been on this, this mental health journey and, and struggling with my own mental health for forever, I feel like, but it really, I didn't really have the language or the words to, um, to share that until I went to college and, um, in college things kind of my mental health, it, it became too difficult to ignore. I think beforehand growing up in elementary school and, and middle school, I had a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. I really felt like if I looked put together on the outside that um, maybe that was true or maybe that um, would make me appear perfect. And for me, perfect always meant like enough or lovable enough, good enough. Right. Um, and I think that that's really I, what you said in the last take was that it was part of the community. And I think that's really true based off of the people that I know that you grew up with. Like, yes. I mean, cause I know, I know quite a few people that you, you were in your circle. So like, I felt, I did feel like there was a lot of like, I didn't recognize it at the time because I was so young, but I do now that you've said that I'd see a lot of like people that really were like trying to be perfect all of the time. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. And, and I talk about this with my parents sometimes because they really feel like we chose this town because it had so many resources. Like, why is this difficult? But it's a, it's a different struggles, I guess. In right. Capacity. Um, so yeah, really always wanting to do that. I, I also, this really also coincided with, I absolutely loved, um, musical theater. That was like my, my thing, um, acting, singing, dancing. And there was a lot, I think of reinforcement in that area too. Like who's going to want to see a show that's not perfect. I remember my sister and I did theater, um, community theater. And like our director was like, this is an amateur hour, but like now as adults, we're like, it literally was though. (laughs) 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 Um, But anyway, so I think like hearing those messages coupled with also my mom having an eating disorder my entire life and, um, not really doing anything to, uh, help it. I even admit it and all of the things that I think have been really important to me in my recovery. Um, and so growing up in that environment, like, of course, when I, I was going to break at some point. And for me, I think it was the transition and the change into college. You know, I went to summer camp, but otherwise I never had any experience away from like my support system, my family. Um, and I was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and eating disorder. And at first, being diagnosed with an eating disorder was really confusing. And I think for a couple of reasons, the first was because this was what I was doing like my entire life. I didn't realize that, um, like the diets that I had been put on when I was in middle school was like, not something that you were supposed to do. (laughs) Um, like actually like loving your body and like nourishing your body was something that was like in other people's vocabulary and, in and, in things that, yeah, that like, that I just never experienced. I also thought that if you had an eating disorder, that meant you had to be like, quote unquote, thin. And I don't think that I ever felt like that. But I also think that's so dangerous, because I think that that is a reason that so many people who struggle with eating disorders don't seek help because of their body dysmorphia, or what they think like an eating disorder looks like when really eating disorders, we know come in every body type, every lifestyle, like every identity background. Um, right. So that's, that's, also, that's become a big part of my message too. Um, I think 
even in my own recovery, like, and being in a recovered body, I think a lot of times people are like, you had an eating disorder. I'm like, yeah. And I still struggle. Like it doesn't, you can't see that. It's like a mental illness, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's interesting that like that, I don't know if it's like the media or just like our culture or both that it feels like people can have a right to like comment on bodies or like make those judgments, which is really upsetting because I know how damaging that can be. But anyway, little side tangent. Uh, (laughs) I made it through my freshman year of college, but that summer I ended up going into eating disorder treatment um, for five weeks. And I really felt like showing up was going to fix everything. Like I thought that if I signed up for this program, I was going every day, then like there was just going to be some magic um, result at the end of the five weeks. And um, no, (laughs) they were asking me to do really hard things like uncover my thoughts and, and sit with the depressed feeling, sit with not feeling enough, sitting with anxiety, asking me about my family. And it was tough because I did a day program. So I went every day during the week, kind of like a job, like nine to five. And on the weekend, you know, growing up in this, this household that didn't understand recovery and, and I don't think still does would tell me like, Oh my gosh, this, you know, you can cheat around this meal plan that I would bring home. Like this is too much food. And, and I think that was really hard. Um, I also thought that going and showing up, as I said, was going to fix everything, but I also thought I was going to feel better. And I really didn't, I felt worse. And I think that that, um, kind of perpetuated this depression that I was feeling so much so that I was really struggling with suicidal thoughts and, um, wanting to end my life, like creating plans. And I ended up going to a different program, um, after the eating disorder program that was more focused on depression and suicidality, um, at McLean hospital, you know, we're so lucky to live in Massachusetts with the best psychiatric hospital, literally in the world, like down the street, which is amazing. Um, and I had a really great experience at McLean. The, um, the program that I went to, it was for adolescents and I was 18. So I was like right at the edge but I felt like that was such a huge part of what made that program successful for me was because I felt like a role model, like all, being a role model has always been something that's been really important to me. I don't know if it's cause like I have a younger sister or I've felt like I've lacked that in my life. Um, so I think having the opportunity to be like, Hey, I'm the oldest, like I'm going to actually show my peers or the, these young people, like what, it, what it's like to recover. That was such a huge motivator. Um, I also got like put on medication that I felt was really helpful. I started to learn skills and tools and it was during this time that my sister and I started my kind of first entrepreneurial venture. Well, that's not true. I've been an entrepreneur since I was eight. My first real entrepreneurial venture, which was the beautiful project. Um, and I remember that. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The beautiful project was, um, we created this organization, um, where there were kind of a couple of, couple of, um, kind of focuses. One of them being, um, talking about like beauty and deconstructing media beauty standards through using YouTube and having people tell their stories, which is so interesting because, that was like such a big deal then. Like, I mean, YouTube was a thing, but I like, it's just funny because I don't feel like a lot of people were using YouTube at the time, but we were, we also <laughs> made um, bracelets and sold them to um, fund the national eating disorders association. And as much as that 
experience being an entrepreneur and an advocate gave me so much purpose in my recovery and made me feel so like alive. It also was really detrimental because I think that I had this idea that because I created this organization and I was like being interviewed for like, remember her campus? It's definitely a thing still, but I remember that was a big deal. I don't remember that, but okay. Yeah. Like a college publication. Um, Okay. Yeah. Just like, I guess like getting this like media attention, I really felt like, okay. Um, I can't like, I'm recovered. Like I'm the poster child of like Mm. it being over. And I think that that has been something that I've really dismantled in my current advocacy. Uh, I think like one of the things that makes me successful in what I'm doing now is is that my honesty <laughs> um, and and how like this is just a journey that is never that's that is I'm gonna be on for the rest of my life and I'm okay with that I I really am um but at the time I couldn't access that I felt like a failure that I wasn't that I was like trying to heal myself and telling people like you can recover when really like I was slipping back into my eating disorder behaviors and I was super depressed and I ended up going into this um like locked psychiatric unit uh over like our holiday break which was very difficult it was very different from the experience I had over the summer because I was with adults and I'm not saying that to like scare anyone I always want to say like those units like they exist for a reason and I needed to be there, believe me, but it was not the same experience. It was not like the groups and like the crafts and I don't know, like healing that way. It was like a lot of just safety, um, like people like watching you shower and like being, being um, constantly watched, like not having a phone, not having shoes, like all of like really scary um, for me. And I can remember after that, like going back to school, uh, my sophomore year, second semester, and sitting in a school reentry meeting with my parents and like the dean, and saying like things are going to be different now, and just back to that perfection, needing to look good on the outside. Uh, but that only lasted like a, a week and a half. I ended up leaving school in late January for a medical leave after um, a really kind of serious moment of suicidal ideation and I just remember not wanting to be in pain anymore um I don't know if I necessarily like wanted to die but I just didn't see any other way out um and I got took a medical leave and that was so hard um I think I had always been someone who followed like a path and really felt like I was just doing everything that everyone else was doing and having Facebook, like really the only social media at the time, I think Instagram like existed, but I wasn't using it, but seeing on Facebook, like all my friends at parties and like, I could not move off the couch. And I remember like one of my parents had to stay home with me at, at all times. Like I could never be alone. And that just made me feel like such a burden to my family. Um, and, and just so much shame and guilt. My mom actually forced me into dance classes, um, which ended up being like the best thing that I could have done. But I'll never forget like the first day that she literally like dragged me into the car. Um, But that ended up being so healing. I mean, I love dance. Like that was always such a big part of my life. You do too, right? Yeah, 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 I dance now. Um, And that that really, really helped. And um, that like kind of got me through a couple of months. And then 
finally, you know, the medical leave plan was to go into this other program at McLean um, Hospital that was for like women in particular who struggled with um, everything I was struggling with, basically. And I always really talk about this time in my life, like this hospital admission as my turning point. And it's interesting because it definitely was and is, but now it's been like almost 10 years since then. And so there's just like, there have been other ups and downs and other turning points. But at this point in my, my life and my mental health journey, this was really the turning point for me. And um, I think for a couple of reasons, the Hill Center is uh, where I was, is based on um, a type of therapy called DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy. And it was created by a woman who struggled herself and um, came up with these different modules and and tools. And I think that that's what I was lacking. Like I never learned coping skills and like not to like totally blame my parents, but (laughs) I mean, I don't think like I didn't learn them in school either. Like I I not have coping skills. You know what I mean? There's such a switch now. And I think that there, the schools are focusing more on Mm -hmm. social emotional health. Um, I'm so glad. Yeah, but that was not a thing when we were in school, like at all. Not at all. And so I think having like tools was really empowering for me. And then, lastly, I was paired with a case manager um, when I was in the program for about a month, and um, she ended up becoming my therapist after the program and still is actually. So we've been working together for 10 plus years, um, which is amazing. And that is amazing. I'm very, very grateful for her. She, a lot of people ask me like her name's Dina, which is funny, like mine, a little (laughs) bit different, but um, a lot of people ask me like, what was different about that relationship? And I think a couple of things on the one hand, I think I went to therapy looking for someone to give me the answers. Um, and she never did that. And I hated that at first. I was like, I am sitting here waiting for you to tell me what to do. But she really encouraged me to like find that within myself. Um, and that was really hard because she also had a little bit of like a tough edge in that back then. Now, not anymore. But um, <laughs> at, the time, at the time, that was really hard. But also, I think that she really offered this maternal energy for like toward me and it's hard because my mom and I are very close um we still are we always have been and I love her like more than anything but given her eating disorder and her own kind of limitations because of it there's always been a part of that like maternal piece that I just don't think that like I get and I think that I found that in Dina and um that has been very healing for me and it's, it's even complicated. It's hard because it's like therapeutic relationship, but there's also, there's more for that to that for us. Um, and I also, we've also been working together for a decade. So like, of course, like I've seen her grow up, like she has kids now. I'm like, I was the first, you know, um, she has <laughs> two kids of her own and, and is married. Like, I don't know. I've known her longer than her husband. Like there's a lot of, <laughs> um, there's a lot of aspects that, um, made that and continue to make that so helpful and for me, but that was huge. And then at the end of that experience, I decided to transfer schools and that really wasn't something that I had even thought about at the, like at first, I really was imagining that I would go back to, I went to Providence college for my first two years. I would go back to Providence college, but I just couldn't imagine ever going back and like feeling different. Like I just was, there was such a 
so much of my mental health journey and my experience with mental illness was tied to that school because that's when things really fell apart. And so I just needed a fresh start. So I ended up going to Northeastern and Northeastern was just like the perfect fit for me. And I am so appreciative that I got a college experience that was kind of normal (laughs) (laughs) after, um, after having some really tough times at at PC. And um, yeah, I think Northeastern was great for a couple of reasons. I mean, I remember when I got to Northeastern, um, I was like applying for all these student groups that were like had application processes and I got into all of them, which was just a stark difference because at Providence college, I also applied to ev- for everything and I never got it. And so that was just like a great example. Like, okay, this is, this is like a good fit for me. This is the right school, which was really um, affirming, I think. Um, and I also really liked that people at Northeastern did more than four years of school because we had the co-op program, which is six months in the field, um, not taking classes. So most students did five years. And I think I felt really embarrassed about, um, just really embarrassed about feeling as if I needed to stay longer than like my class at Providence college. So it was nice that everyone's kind of on their own path and journey. Yeah. Um, so that was great. My fourth year at Northeastern, things felt really normal. Um, again, I felt very, um, yeah, I felt like a normal college kid. And <laughs> one thing that I really wanted to do when I started, like when I was applying to college in high school, was study abroad. That was really important to me. And um, But I didn't think I could do like six, six months abroad. Like that didn't feel attainable. And so um, – I decided with Dina, with my family, that I would do birthright. And so birthright allows people who are Jewish to go to Israel for free for 10 days. And it's for like young adults, 18 to 26. I think with COVID, they've expanded the age because a lot of people who wanted to do birthright, you know, during the height of the pandemic weren't able to. But at the time when I was doing it, it was 18 to 26. And um I, so I went to Israel and unfortunately, uh, while I was there, I was sexually assaulted by someone I was traveling with. And that really just like, I felt like that just pulled me back to the beginning. I could not, I felt like everything that I had worked for was just like vanished, like, like right in front of my eyes. And it was really hard. It still is, you know, it's, it's been a long time now. Um, that was 2013, but it's still, it still sits, it still sits with you, you know? Um, and I think when I talk about it now, I, I have quite a few things to say. The first is if you're listening to this and I hope you are never in this position, but if you are in a position where a friend comes to you and, and tells you that they've experienced something like this, I think the best advice that I could give you is just to listen and believe them. And unfortunately for me, I thought, I feel like my first points of contact were very doubtful um, and critical. And I think that that just really caused a lot of shame and I think really prolonged my healing process. Like I really feel like if my first contacts after that were more affirming or like believed me and wanted to help me, that would have been different. And like, granted, that is not their fault. Like that is like the perpetrator's fault. But I think that like, I don't know, I've been in a lot of situations um, in um, like my life now where people ask me like, what would you have wanted? And that is my answer. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I think that's such a big thing too, that, you know, uh, 
especially for people that know both parties Mm. like they get really weird and they don't know how to handle the situation and they don't realize how detrimental it is to the survivor right and it's it's just absolutely heartbreaking to like see that happen um, mm. because unfortunately I see that a lot and yeah, I see a lot of people who will never come forward and I'll probably be the only person that they ever tell. Yeah, right. You know? Totally. And I think that like, I think just as a general like society, like we would rather, you know, protect like say that like the woman is like lying or like saying mm-hmm. her, not just women there are a lot every a gender identity survivor but I guess yeah. for, like, speaking for myself yeah um, like I feel like it was a lot easier for people to just like want to think that like it wasn't the case mm-hmm. um, right and I think people don't realize how rare it actually is that somebody's making yes. these things up like yes. Like, we know how often, like, these things are, like, not believed. It's so hard to come forward. It's so hard to ask for help in general. Never mind in a situation where, like, we know that society has been kind of programmed to not believe you. Yeah. So it's just, it's just so frustrating. Yes. Right. Thank you for that, Val. (laughs) I completely agree. And so I think yet again, what was so helpful for me was this call for call to do something call to Mm -hmm. be that role model or advocate like advocate and so I started my second organization um at this time and it was really focused on dismantling rape culture and being able to talk about um yeah about like stereotypes and and weight and the culture around like everything we're talking about I remember I would walk around Boston with a whiteboard and I would ask people to like correct a statement that we say when it comes to like surviving sexual like um let me think of a good example uh like someone saying like she we hooked up before like that is not a reason to say like that you can't assume consent in that capacity so anyway um I was able to kind of go around Boston and um really talk to different people, take photos, start a photo blog. I also started a fashion show at Northeastern. It's kind of been like my legacy where I got a ton of donated clothing, both from stores, like uh, retail stores, but also from people in my life. And the clothing was uh, modeled down the Northeastern runway and then all donated to domestic violence and rape crisis shelters in Massachusetts. And that really, I think, helped heal me because I didn't feel like I had to hide. Um, granted, I didn't really make my this out aspect of my story public and, until a couple of years after Northeastern. But it, even without saying like this, this happened to me, it was very helpful to know that I was supporting other people, um, which is very, yeah, which I is part of who I am, I think, in a lot of ways. And then right. finally... A year later in 2015, I graduated from college, which I always say, like, I've done a lot of cool things in my life and I'm very proud of a lot of what I've accomplished. But I think like graduating from college will always be something that I am so proud of because there were so many moments and days and weeks and months that I never thought that that was going to be a possibility for me. So being able to yeah to 
to be that was like unreal. It was amazing. Um, it's so much so that I think during my time at Northeastern, one thing that really kept me motivated was this idea that I was going to go back and help people in like the social work field, um, like help young people who struggle like I did. Um, I always had my sights set on McLean because I knew how helpful that was for me. And it just felt really meaningful to go back and, um, and be work there. And I applied so many times and, and I, I got a job at McLean and I remember what, like on my first day, it was, uh, like a benefits training. And in my head, I was like, uh, sign me up. I'm going to be here till retirement. Like this is a <laughs> dream. Like I'm doing all the 401k things I can, like I'm going to be here forever. And obviously, you know, spoiler alert, that was not the case. I did have a great, um, two years there. I think that I learned so much, um, about, everything like I learned so much about the hospital system I learned so much about myself I learned that I love more macro level um community change versus individual change I well, don't get me wrong like the yeah that I built with the people of like the clients at McLean I mean I will treasure those forever but I think that there's always just been a part of me that has loved and really like my soul is set on fire when I'm working on something big like I can't yeah campaign and so I ended up going back to grad school at Northeastern um to study public health which is interesting because I like didn't even know what public health was I feel like two years prior um but when it was explained to me that I could go to grad school and then eventually get paid to do what I was doing for fun I was like okay yes public health it is yes yeah so so after and I guess I don't I usually kind of like skip over the public health years, um, like my master's degree program, but I guess it's important. Like when I'm telling my story, cause I guess like the most important takeaway from that time was for me anyway, it was very interesting because I thought that I had really overcome a lot of like my perfectionistic tendencies when I came to school, like this idea that I would get a grade on a piece of like a piece of paper would tell me my worth. Like I thought I was past that, but yeah. I really, there were, definitely that kind of came up again for me when I was in school and I was like oh my gosh like am I a B you know not even being able to like hang on to my own worth and value and that was hard I think that really kind of showed me a blind spot in my my healing in some capacity but I think another really important part of the kind of my grad school years is I was diagnosed with OCD. And so for a long time, I kind of thought that my anxiety was not just anxiety, but it was like more of a generalized anxiety disorder. Um, And I had a psychiatrist that my parents found for me um, when I was really struggling at Providence College. And it's hard because he was like, and still is kind of, seen as like the best of the best and you know his prices definitely made that him seem like that too and you know he was great (laughs) for me at the time but I went to him saying like you know I think I think I have OCD like a lot of these a lot of the ways my anxiety is manifesting like I don't think that this is just generalized anxiety disorder and he was really not supportive of that and it was really hard for me to fire him like I never imagined like firing like someone who was helping me but he just made me he 
gave, I had a lot of shame around that relationship. So I was able to find a new psychiatrist who um, kind of evaluated me for OCD, listened to my concerns and was able to start like, yeah, I was able to start medication and I have an OCD therapist now. So that's kind of like more of a new element of my journey on my mental health journey, but it's not, I guess, new in the sense that I have words for it, not new in the sense that like I've been struggling with this for so long right right yeah I don't know if you've ever seen the like I think it's a meme or something there something online where okay. they talk about um you know it's better to know that you're a zebra than to think you're a weird horse oh I like that oh yeah, yeah so, so like cool. you know you thought you thought you were a weird horse when you were yeah, like well just... being told constantly that you just had regular old anxiety regular yeah. old I mean generalized anxiety is no joke either no, everyone you know anyone that has that it, it, it is hard yeah. but thinking you have generalized anxiety disorder when you really have OCD is like a totally different ball game exactly yeah and so yes that oh I love that that's exactly how I felt I think that having the like having the words really has changed things for me and it's definitely something I still struggle with um and I'm learning to live with but having like appropriate medication and like treatment is is huge so um I graduated from public health school and I went to work at um a nonprofit in Lynn at Girls Inc and oh my gosh I love Girls Inc I will always have such a special place in my heart for that organization. Um, Girls Inc. is an organization that inspires all girls to be strong, smart, and bold. And um, it was just, I don't know, I look back at that that time and I just like, oh, I just loved it. I, I really felt like I was able to use like what I was learning in public health school because I was working on a grant, but also able to create such amazing relationships with these high school girls. And um, now and then there, there's a couple in particular that I still am in touch with and now they're in college and I'm like oh my god I remember when we were in eighth grade um oh my gosh that's but, so cool yes no it's so special like those relationships just are mean the world to me and I ended up leaving Girls Inc um and working on another nonprofit, and um afterwards but I think that there was always just this part of me that in the background I was telling my story speaking or creating Bake It Till You Make It, which I can talk a little bit more about in a second, but it was all like the dream was always just to do that full time. And um, unfortunately it took kind of a, a tough work environment to push me there, I guess. Um, it kind of, the place that I was working before, it just wasn't a good fit anymore for me. And um, for like a lot of different reasons, but it, it really affected my mental health. And I think it was, um, it was almost, yeah, it was almost like I was forced into, to taking this leap. And I'm so grateful that I did. Um, there are a couple other like contributing factors that too, but let's start with bake it till you make it. So in 2017, I was in grad school and I was really struggling with my depression. Um, and on top of all of that, I got into a car accident and, um, it was my fault and, um, it was awful and I didn't have a car for a couple weeks and, um, I was living at home with my parents and all I had was the kitchen and baking. And, um, that is when I realized kind of this healing power of, 
cooking and baking, not only just that it was like fun, but also because I felt like it was really easy to invite people over to bake and like talk about depression. <laughs> not easy, but like easy. Yeah. Um, and that just one day I just kind of had this idea to create a cookbook where people could share their mental health stories and recipes that are important to their journey. Um, and then I would put it together throw in some resource pages. And I've always dreamed of being an author. I've always loved writing. I remember like going into Barnes and Noble as a kid and being like, my book's going to be on the shelf one day. And so, um, yeah, in 2019, I did it. I did the thing. I yes. And, um, <laughs> I am in 2022, I now have four books in the world. So I have my, my original mental health cookbook. There's a second edition, but then during the beginning of the pandemic, I wrote kind of my memoir. Um, it felt like something I've always wanted to do, and I'm sure I'll write another one. But it also felt like I was 28, and you know, I just turned 30. But I, it felt like a good kind of wrap up of the past 28 years, <laughs> um, and that was really special. And then I just came out with a poetry cookbook in August. Um, poetry's always been something that I really loved, but never felt confident in. I actually took a poetry class with my favorite poet ever. Um, during the pandemic, it was virtual. And I think getting their feedback really like made me feel like, oh my God, like, I don't know if you know Andrea Gibson. I don't, the name okay. sounds really familiar though. Like They're I feel amazing. like I do, but that sounds amazing. That sounds really cool. Like I would never even think to like look for a class with like an author that you like, you know oh what I mean? Gosh. Yes. I mean, getting Andrea's feedback, I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. Like, I don't know. I think that was so special to me because their poetry has helped me so much. Um, but anyway, so, so yeah, so that's kind of big until you make it in the book form, but I also do events. Oh, Danielle, you should totally come every, every December. I have a nailed it event where, um, we kind of pretend that this place in Boston is the nailed it stage on Netflix where like we, I have like a decorating competition. And oh my God. Stories. Yeah. I'll send you the details. <laughs> yes. Go. Oh my God. That sounds um, so cool. When is it? Um, December 4th. Anyone who's listening in the Boston area, um, maybe I can send you the details. You can like link in the. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So it's like an afternoon of, of decorating, but also people share their mental health stories and I have resources. So that's a really cool um, kind of sacred event of, um, of Vegas. We make it. And then I started really taking my public speaking seriously. I was enjoying it so much. Um, I my public speaking is not any old public speaking. I do a cooking demonstration while I tell the story that we just share that I just shared with you. Um, and I think throughout my time with Vegas, so you make it in, in my, like the stage of my life where I've really taken my entrepreneurial career so seriously, it's been hard. Cause I think I've come across a lot of people who don't get it, I guess. Um, they don't really understand like what I'm talking about. They think it's like cutesy and like for kids which you know is fine I mean hey like everyone has mental health like if this helps right. a young person like that is totally fine but I'm talking more they're like oh this is like adorable like no actually yeah. like I'm trying to help people you know right um, yeah yes. like anyone <laughs> yes exactly so um but in and I don't like I want always to find that validation and that um 
that like self that like worth inside myself but um you know it helps when you have external validation too and I think the biggest external validator for me in in my in like this journey so far was getting accepted um as a young mental health leader and going to the White House in May um that was amazing (laughs) yeah Um, that was cool yeah I think that to know like that I was one of the 30 like the other 29 people oh my god I'm looking at their profiles reading about them I'm like do I belong here and it's also really interesting because every other person also felt that way and so hey imposter syndrome or yeah say um but yeah I think like having like literally sitting on stage talking to the surgeon general and the first lady and Selena Gomez about bake it till you make it like you know that like it was put on by MTV and the Biden Harris administration. And, and just like that, that validation, that chance just really helped me take myself seriously in a way that I don't think I had yet. And it's still hard because I don't know, sometimes it's easy to just like think like, Oh, you know, it was just, they felt bad for me. Like, you know, they, all the lies I tell myself, like, so um, I'm working on it, you know, I'm working on really believing in, in the work that I do in a way that is like powerful. Um, on most days I do, but on the other days I'm like, what am I doing? Like, do, I don't know. I think, I, I think I said this in the beginning. I, something that's been really helpful about the community that I've created, I think anyway, or it has been for me is the honesty that I am portraying. Like this is my mental health journey is one that I will be on for the rest of my life. And it's not always going to be easy and it's not always going to be at the white house, you know, it's <laughs> an incredible moment, but there, there's a lot of work still to be done. Um, which kind of leads me to this current moment on November 11th. Um, that was a lot. So I hope it was helpful. Oh and- my God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, th- it's just so, I mean, as I told you, like the reason that I brought you on here is because yeah. I have so many people that come in here and they tell me these like very brave stories about how they went into MLM and mm-hmm. um, ended up really coming out not only financially ruined, but also with some pretty serious mental health issues, yeah. um, including eating disorders. And I like, I know that that's a big part of your journey. And I was like, yeah. I need, I need you to come on because it's the holidays. Everyone needs your cookbook. Oh yeah. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's just so important to know that there are resources out there. And also you built this from the ground up. You are a true entrepreneur. Thank you. Um, yeah. You aren't somebody that ordered a starter kit online and then claimed to be a CEO. Um, So, like, that's so cool and we love to see it. So, I'm just so proud of you. And, like, I know that, like, like, we kind of um like we're acquaintances from afar, but I've always, like, watched you and, like, cheered you on from my phone screen. Likewise, oh my god. Um, I remember when you came out with those what it says heel on it, right? Oh, the yeah. shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. That's my favorite shirt. I oh, like I still so wear it. That makes me so happy. <laughs> like if you could come out with another line of those. Okay. Like I don't know, like the font, it just looks so cool. Yes. Um <laughs> a reboot. Hell yeah. Like- yeah, uh-huh. you should reboot that shirt. Okay. Um maybe maybe you can come up with a new word. Come on it. I don't know what it would be. That's a really cool idea. 
idea. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ooh. Oh, you should come out with shirts that say bake it on it. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh. That might that might make people think of marijuana. I don't know if that's <laughs> what <laughs> Okay. Very true. Yeah. There was, like, an article that I wrote called, like, Half-Baked. And my dad was like, no, that was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, not quite the same message yes, but definitely some type of shirt yeah no thank you so much that means a lot I think I love obviously like being able to share my story not only to hopefully inspire and um help anyone listening to remind them that like they are not alone in absolutely any capacity and I also it's always nice to kind of hear myself share it a little bit too because I think like I'm just me and like here are today's problems but like you know I need to give myself some credit so this was really helpful for me as well I I absolutely I mean and that's part of the reason that I so it's kind of interesting like we have some like parallels here in our stories yeah um because so I started this podcast because I didn't want to fall back into MLM yeah and I was like trying so hard to like deconstruct all of like the mind control and everything that went into that yeah so I like, you know, doing like this public service to try and, you know, help yourself, but also help others at the same time is like, so powerful to me. Like, Mm -hmm. it's helped me so much. I've seen it help you so much. Yeah. So that's just so cool. So now you are you full time? I'm a full time entrepreneur. Hell yeah. Yeah. We love to see it. Well, yes. So can you tell the people where they can find you and what links I will be providing in the show notes? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So um, my website is bakeitillyoumakeit.co. So not .com, but it's just like bakeitillyoumakeit. And then I think the best way um, to like connect is, is through Instagram. So either just my name, Dana Altman, very lucky to get that handle or, um, make it till you make it LLC. They're both like linked together anyway, in like the bios, but that is usually where people come to find me first. Um, or on my website, like there's an opportunity to, um, there's like the ability to send me a message. I absolutely love connecting, um, and hearing other store, other people's stories. Like that is such an, honor to me to be able to sit with and like bear witness to other stories just like you were saying Danielle (laughs) Um, and so so that those two things um and then I also trying to think yeah those are like the best I also I have a Pinterest I have TikTok but it's all vacant till you make it LLC but I would say I'm most consistent on Instagram and then the website also if you type my name into Amazon so just Dana Altman you'll get my profile which has all of my books Um, But you can also look at the books on my website. Um, And then I guess, yeah, the final plug is for Nailed It. So December 4th, it's in Somerville, Massachusetts. Um, It's an afternoon of baking, 2.30 to 4, um, decorating, mental health resources. It's $20, but you get get to take a lot of the food home with you too. So um, the tickets are on Eventbrite. So I'll send that to you, Danielle, too. Oh, that's so cool. Yes, I love that. Um, so typically my final question is what is your anti MLM? Why? Oh, um, (laughs) let's change it up a little bit for you. Um, I mean, other than the fact that we don't want you to join an MLM because you don't need one. Um, but so what is your, I mean, so, I mean, 
Okay. So let me give you a little bit of context between that. Okay. Um, so when we were in MLM, they would tell us that we needed to have a why that made you cry. So like why you're oh. doing this and people would be like, I'm doing it to give my kids a better life. Okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like that type of thing. And then like you get all emotional, but like really the why was because we wanted to make money. Um, Got it. Okay. Or wanted friends. Um, yeah. Those are really the, the two boil down parts of going in. But anyways, so now we kind of flipped it to take power back and make it like our anti-MLM why. So what is your mental health why? Like, why do you share this Mm -hmm. journey with people? Why, why are you so vulnerable? Why is it so important to you? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I think it's really, I think kind of where we started this idea of like no one talking about it and like knowing how isolated, how, how isolating and lonely it is to struggle with your mental health. So my why is to provide that source of light, inspiration and visibility um, to those who, who don't, who aren't able to see that, um, you know, that they're not alone as cheesy as that sounds, or um, that like, there's nothing wrong with them, you know, that it's okay. You can have, you can struggle with your mental health and live a very full life. Um, I think I'm a good example of that. So um, my why is really to inspire and empower um, living with mental illness. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so, so, so much. I am so glad that we got to do this. And especially, like I said, before the holidays, um, people are, anxious about food and all of those things. And I think that we need to be reminded that it's okay to eat. It's okay to eat things that have sugar in them. It's okay to eat all the things. There are no bad foods. Yes. Love it. A hundred percent. Yes, definitely. All foods have nutritional value. That's been like another mantra of mine. Like, you know, they have different properties, but they all do something. So, right. Yes. Right. Exactly. I love that. I I like that reword too, of all foods have nutritional value because that's kind of been one of the things that I've been working on right now too, is like, okay, well, this has more nutrients, this has less nutrients and it's okay to have both. But then also, you know, like taking, like, even when you say more or less nutrients, sometimes that just comes back to bad and good good right um, exactly. like this binary where it's not a binary like it's it's fluid and sometimes having a brownie is going to be helpful for you like if yeah. you if you really want a brownie like you should have the brownie because yeah. you, part of your soul needs it yes definitely. <laughs> I mean that comes down down to like mental health is part of health and exactly um, that yeah if that's gonna help you in the in in that moment if that's something that you want then like why deprive yourself um right yeah so I'm all about that that's right love it all right everyone thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time bye bye (laughs) hey huns I just wanted to take a second to tell you guys about acorn and no this is not a sponsored ad Acorn is a robo-investing account that I've been using to manage my money since I've started my own small business. I honestly had no idea what I was doing in regards to saving for the future, but knew I needed to start somewhere and thought this was a great way to get the ball rolling. I really like the interactive graphics and watching what's going on with my money. If this is something that you feel interested in, feel free to click the link in my bio to start your own Acorn account and we'll both get $5 added in our accounts for our investing future. Happy savings!